0: I'm Glenn DeGeek from McCala, Florida, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for May the 2nd, episode 2924. This episode is brought to you by the World Equestrian Center. Good morning, Horse World. Well, Jamie's on her way home from the amazing weekend at Kentucky, and we'll talk all about that on Wednesday when she's back. And we'll also take a look at the Kentucky Derby on Friday. Today, I've selected some interviews we did in the distant past. We're going to talk hay and weeds first. Then, the rest of the scoop for you is called The Scar-Legged Sorrel. the tragic story of a tough horse and his amazing comeback. Finally, we end the show with some horse husbands answering a question or two from their horse wives. Before we get started with all of that, we need to thank our title sponsor, World Equestrian Center. They do a ton of horse stuff, but when you have dozens of rings, many large indoors, multiple conference centers, and over 10 restaurants, you can do a variety of shows. Coming up this weekend is the Festival of Speed, an exotic classic and muscle car show that will take place the same day as the Kentucky Derby. Oh, by the way, you can watch the Kentucky Derby for free on the Jumbotrons and eat dinner at one of the many restaurants there. They also have a dog show this weekend, they have an Arabian show, they have also a Feathered Horse Classic, so you know what that means, plus uh, a whole bunch of other stuff going on over the next couple of weeks and in the month of May. There's so much variety, you can see all of the schedules at WAC.com, that's WorldEquestrianCenter.com. And if you're driving past on Route 75 on your way to Orlando or someplace in Florida, Take a half a day or a whole day and drive 10 minutes off of Route 75 and you can get to the World Equestrian Center and have some horsey fun for an entire day. Eat some good food, watch a show. Uh, If you're there on Saturday, you can watch the Kentucky Derby. That's worldequestriancenter.com. Now on for part one of today's show, everyone is thinking about hay, the prices, the rain, etc. In 2016, we had on the weed doctor, Dr. Mark Renz from the University of Wisconsin to discuss hay and weeds. So I thought we'd share that with you today. Well, we have today with us assistant professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, which sounds really cold. And his name is Dr. Mark Renz. Good morning, Dr. Renz.
1: Good morning, and you're right. It is very cold up here. I
0: love it that Jennifer wrote here that you are a weed scientist. Do you call yourself a weed
1: scientist? I do. I do. And it is kind of a unique uh, position and I get a lot of uh, a lot of uh, hassles. A lot I of times bet you do. It. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I think it's I think it's a really, you know, is appropriate. I'm interested in studying plants that aren't supposed to be there and that's what a weed is, and, and trying to develop and educate people on how to manage Um, those plants so they don't cause problems, you know, like for horses, toxic, poisonous plants is, uh, is a big concern. And that's one of the things that we work on.
0: All right, let's talk about hay and weeds and all that stuff. (laughs) Now, I'm a horse husband, and one of the fears Uh that we horse husbands have, especially when our wives are away, is we get this list of things that we're supposed to do. And one of the things we're supposed to do is feed hay. But now, not only are we supposed to feed hay, with our lack of training, we're also supposed to determine whether the hay is moldy, You know, whether there's weeds in there that they shouldn't have, that kind of thing. So what am I supposed to look for?
1: Well, you know, it's a challenge. And I think, you know, one of the reasons it is such a challenge, and and this is where I uh, come off with full disclaimers, I'm a plant person. So I love plants, I'm into plants, and I understand that. But are you a plant person? No, I'm guessing you're an animal person, right?
0: That's correct. Yes, who has to actually feed plants to my animals? Yes,
1: that's right, and and so there's just not a lot of knowledge that's out there, um, and plants are really unique um, creatures. You know, they do some, they are very different than animals. But I think that you know, understanding in that hay, understanding just a few simple concepts can really help you understand. Like, well, is this hay good? Is it not? And I've kind of come up with a list of three things that you should be kind of looking for. Okay. Um, But, you know, first off, I think the key point to realize is horses need decent quality forage hay, but they don't need dairy quality um, forage, you know, which is pure alfalfa most of the time. So I'm guessing most of... Your listeners and other people are feeding a mixture of legumes, which we call, that could be alfalfa or other clovers, with grass. Is that what you're feeding your animals?
0: Yeah, we, we actually don't even do the alfalfa mix with ours. I think Jamie does, but we don't do the alfalfa mix with ours only because we have two fat horses that would, you know, yep. yeah.
1: Yeah, and so and so I think that uh, the the misconception a lot of people get is they need this ultra-high... Uh, dairy quality hay and that's not the case any decent hay quality pure grass depending on the species of grass can provide that and a mixture of clovers or alfalfa and grass can do that very very well Um, so here's my top three things that that if you are feeding hay that you should be looking for and you should feel good because you nailed the first one you should not feed moldy hay to your to your animals so that's a real simple step one to do as you're, you as got, something right, you got something right, Glenn. I did. something right, Glenn. See, yes, I learned no. something in
0: 25 years.
1: <laughs> 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 and, and I think that's a real simple thing to do because often those um, diseases that are causing that mold can produce material that can actually make your horses sick. And it's really dependent upon what that is, the plant that the mold's growing on, and the mold itself. Actually, if you ever heard of warfarin or coumarin, which is a blood thinner, that was actually discovered in Wisconsin from people that came to us with moldy hay. Um, uh, you know, my actually, yeah, my mother is actually wow. taking it right now. So it can actually thin the blood of your horses and cause all kinds of issues. So that's a real simple thing to do as you're, taking that bale of hay out and, and putting it in a feeder or spreading it on the ground, however you feed it, just be looking for some mold. If you see that mold, it's it's not a good thing to feed. Now, they can tolerate small amounts of it, but I would say if you're seeing it consistently through hay, that's a, a sign that you shouldn't be um, feeding your hay. Okay. Okay, so that's one. Two, and this kind of gets at the whole concept of forage quality, particularly if you're feeding um, a lot of grasses is you should be, as you're feeding that hay, be looking for forage, particularly those grasses, if they're mature. And what do I mean by that? Do they have seed heads present and seeds are kind of coming off in the hay? And so why should you be concerned about feeding mature forage? Well, as much forage matures, those grasses, and if you're feeding alfalfa or clover, mature... Their its quality goes down, and it goes down dramatically to where it's not really nearly as valuable uh, as it typically would be. So if you're seeing a lot of seed heads on your grasses, that's probably an indication that you're, that, that quality of that forage is low, and you're going to have to feed something else to your animals to, to, you know, make sure that they're nice and happy. Huh. So do okay. you see often see seed heads in your forage when you feed it or your hay?
0: We don't. I, but I do know what you're talking about in the past. We've uh, had that problem and it's basically, and a lot of times that will happen on years when it's extra rainy. Um, and the farmers haven't had a chance to get their, you know, hay in till late. Um, when it actually goes to seed, and that's a lot of times when you'll see it is is weather related, and the farmers just haven't gotten to it.
1: Yep, and I think that's that's just reality of farming and, and them getting to it too. You know, it's tough to get that stuff out of the field in rainy years sometimes. So sometimes you don't have a lot to say, but if you're there so looking at fine hay, and it's not
0: bad for prices, him. it. It's not bad for him. It just doesn't have the nu- nutrient value that uh, before it goes to seed.
1: You got it. You got it. Yep. That's absolutely right, too. So, lower, lower nutrient quality, you might have to supplement with, with something other with a little bit more protein in it, in particular, too. Okay. Um, but, you know, a lot of times that's out of our control. When you're buying that hay, that's the time to be looking at, looking for that. So, that's number two. And then the third one, which I- is, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Can I ask a question about that real quick? So I've always wondered this, when I do
3: throw the hay onto the pasture, like with grass pastures, and I throw the hay and I see all the seeds come down, will those seeds germinate in my pasture or is it just, are they like toasted because they've already been dried?
1: Um, No, in many cases, depending on the, the species, they will actually germinate in your pasture. So that's a really good question and a really good point. So if it's, Forage species, like, say, red clover or something like that seed that's going down there, yeah, it could, that could be a really good. But if it's a weed species, like a foxtail uh-huh. or something you don't want, that's not such good a good thing. So I think, I always, you know. I always thought it was, like, free grass seeds. Like, here you go,
3: free grass.
1: <laughs> yep, yep. planting
3: it in my pasture.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, I mean, you know, I think in some cases you can get some benefits. Grass seed is pretty cheap, though. In general, though, if you really want to improve your pasture, it's probably better to buy some seed <laughs> <grass laughs> <the right> <laughs> relying on the hay, because who knows what that is and and uh, what the quality okay, of that seed is. But that's a good, great question. Great question.
0: All right, number three. Okay.
1: So the third one is 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 then tends to be quite a bit harder. But really, what it comes down to is inspecting that. Pay for two things: weed species. So again, the definition of a weed is a plant you don't want growing there. Um, so not a not that forage species that you want, and sometimes that can be really tough to identify. Or an Insect, and So usually when you see insects in your hay, that's usually a bad sign that there's something going wrong there, too.
0: Uh, the other thing, um, I, I'm going to add another thing to that, and that's dead animals and snakes. I just <laughs> throw that in there because I've been down that road before. I hate opening a yep. bale of hay and there's a dead snake in there. It's like, oh! Oh! <laughs>
1: I've actually experienced that as well for a plant person, and that's actually a great third third uh, addition to there. Yes. Now, weeds can be hard to identify too, and um, you know I think my recommendation is, you know, the, what weed species are common in your area can vary dramatically. Check with your local county extension agent um, or your other representative, maybe who you're buying that hay from if you're going to a feed store, to ask what weeds you need to be worried about. A lot of your weeds, and if you guys have pastures, have seen it actually are pretty desirable forage many of the broadleaf weeds like lambs quarter common ragweed many of the horses elite and have pretty good forage quality there's just a couple a handful usually in each region that we're really worried about and those are generally because they're poisonous or toxic plants right okay and and really you know the 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 toxic plants you know in the upper midwest are going to be a lot different than florida than out in the west You know, you can get online and see a top ten list of poisonous plants for horse owners, and it's just going to be very regional specific. And so, you need to be worry about that a little bit. One warning I will say, though, particularly for urban past uh, horse owners, is that many of our landscape plants tend to be very toxic to our horses. So. Don't be throwing clippings from your yard into your pasture, letting your animals feed on that, unless you're certain that those aren't toxic plants.
0: You know, I, I you shouldn't be taking clippings from your yard and feeding it to your horse anyway. It's not good for your horse to begin with. But... Um uh, one of the things that, you know, I've opened up uh, hay bales before and seen black leaves uh, mm-hmm. and that really jump out at you. Is the color, you know, color things like that, is that something that could be completely harmless and it's just, you know, after it died to turn black? Or is it something I should be, you know, aware of?
1: Well, so usually what the what's, what that is, is that's actually a disease that's turned it black. And it's probably an indication that when they harvested it and put it in that bale of hay, it was wet, it was too wet. And so that's some, some mold or some other type of a fungus. And some of those funguses can be um, totally harmless and some can be toxic at certain levels. And so again, Use the rule of thumb of if there's just a little bit of it here and there, I wouldn't worry about it. But if you're seeing, you know, it really common in 10 or 20 percent, you know, that's probably something you don't want to be feeding to your animals. Or you should get it checked out. What's
0: the most common weed that is a problem for horses, that, that horses will eat and is a problem? Is there one that really stands out?
1: Well, again, it's, it's pretty regionally specific, but I think foxtails are a really good example. We have several foxtail species. You go to a different part of the region of the U.S., and there'll be a different foxtails. but foxtails can be a problem because they have low quality, so they're not really good quality. And one of the other issues that they, um, they have is they have low palatability, so the horses don't like to eat it, um, and so they won't use that whole bale of hay. And then the third issue is, is if they have seed heads present, they can actually get pricked in the eyes, and we can get an increase in incidence of things like pink eye and things like that, too. So that's a real common one that I would be concerned about um, um, just because of those multitude of issues. But really, it's specific to the region. So if you're in Florida versus you're in the Midwest or out west, um, you know it's going to be a whole different slew of species you need to watch out for.
3: We have a problem with oleander, not in the hay, but a lot of people have oleander plants out here. And um, it's, it's, they're pretty common. and I was I had heard that one or two leaves could
1: kill a horse. Is that true? That is absolutely correct. And one of the problems with oleander is the animals like to eat it. Even cows and, and besides horses will preferentially eat it. And so that's really a concern that uh, that you should be aware of. There's some of these ornamental plants, and that's why we just recommend not even feeding on it. Red maple is an example out in the in the Midwest that we concern are concerned about. Um, again, remember with toxic plants, the it depends on how much of that toxic compound is in the plant. So things like oleander, one to two leaves, those are ones we really need to be careful about. Um, we have this tree species called box elder, and there's some other species that they have to eat like, you know, 10 or 20 pounds of it to get sick. And so understanding how much they can tolerate is really, really important.
0: So where do you have a website uh, there for the University of Wisconsin that people can find resources, or do you have one, a website that you would recommend?
1: Yeah, we have a couple of websites. Um, I think probably the best website for in Wisconsin to, to do is if they just get in their Google uh, or whatever their web browser and search for just Wisconsin Weed Science they can get to my website pretty easily. And then if they have some concerns, we actually have a a group called Team Forage that looks at forage issues and has lots of information on animals, and particularly horses and forage issues. So they can look at that website as well. So those are probably the two options and any internet browser and search engine should pop them up real easily.
0: Very good. Well, thank you for joining us today, Dr. Mark Rentz, assistant professor at the University of Wisconsin, the weed scientist. I love that. As a rider, you know that one of the most important tools for connecting with your horse is the saddle. Wintech saddles combine world leading innovations in high-tech and high tech materials in lightweight, weatherproof, and easy care saddles. The comprehensive Wintech range offers not only cutting edge designs, but also reaches new standards in fit. Comfort and performance benefits for both you and your horse. It's easy to see why WinTech is the world's number one synthetic saddle brand. Visit WinTech Saddles.com today to view the WinTech's full range of saddles and to reach a new level of comfort for you and your horse. And now for part two today it's a rest of the scoop, one of the storytelling episodes that I did over on the Stable Scoop show. This one's called The Scar Legged Sorrel. It's a tragic story of one tough horse and his amazing comeback. The Scar-Legged Sorrel by Gail Stewart On a muggy August day in 1936, Ike Rood and Junior Caldwell were driving south from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, to Burwell, Nebraska, heading to a big rodeo. Lost in conversation, they wondered, what kind of calf would they draw in the tie-down roping event? who would be their main competition. They were pulling a trailer with one horse, a handy roping horse making a name for himself in the rodeo circuit. Carelessly, one of them flipped a lit cigarette out the window. It landed in the straw strewn about the trailer's floor bed. The truck's speed fanned the sparks into fire. On fire too, was their rising star of a roping horse. Fire blazed up his left side. The horse lunged and screamed and kicked at the back gate, trying to escape the flames. The trailer rocked wildly. The men thought they had a flat tire. Then they saw the trailer was on fire. Frantic, they swerved to a stop, got the horse out, and smothered the flames. The horse was in agony. His left leg, shoulder, chest, and neck suffered from first-degree burns. I considered putting him down then and there along the road. But I couldn't do it. Somehow, they calmed the panic horse enough to load him into a borrowed trailer. They sped to Burwell and an appointment with rodeo veterinarian Dr. Darrell E. Trump. Dr. Trump was wary and made no promises. He told Ike he'd do what he could. Come back to my hospital in eight months. Your horse might be better. If not, we'll have to put him down. Ike did as he was told. Scared of what he might find, he traveled to Dr. Trump's Nebraska Veterinarian Hospital. To his delight, his good roping horse, though forever scarred, was thriving. Ever thankful, Ike and his recovered horse returned to the world of rodeo. Ike's horse was bald-faced, born in Oklahoma in 1932. He was stocky, wide in the chest, and cow smart. Ike, a champion steer roper, trained him and rodeoed him, and sometimes shared him with other ropers. Ike made $2,000-some years from sharing in those ropers' winnings. In 1941 in Denver, the famous Oklahoma roper Clyde Burke offered Ike the unheard-of sum of $2,500 for his horse. It was the worst thing I ever did in my life, Ike recalled. Look at the money he's winning for those boys. He sure is one great calf horse, and he has the toughest, fastest stop of all of them. Clyde and his new roping horse wasted no time in rising to the top, winning world championships in tie-down roping in 1942 and 1944. Then Clyde was killed in a steer wrestling accident in 1945 at the age of 31. The next year, Troy Fort of Lovington, New Mexico, bought the sorrel from Burke's widow for the same price, $2,500. Troy won the tie-down roping world championship in 1947 and 1949. And Troy and other ropers made more than $300,000 riding the scar-legged sorrel. Troy said in a 1949 Western Horseman magazine article, he's hard to ride and there's not five men in the business who can ride him well. He runs with his head in your lap and stops so quick he throws you down if you're not careful. He's thrown me twice, and this year at Houston, he threw Jack Skipworth so hard he nearly broke his jaw when he hit the ground. But I'll put him up against any of them, and with an even break, he will win. He's the best and smartest there is. When the scar-legged Sorrel, the horse who wouldn't quit, suffered a heart attack, he was retired, which was a good thing. Known for his spirit and will-do attitude, he lived to an elderly 29 years old. Old-timers who knew him are gone now, but visitors to the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum in Oklahoma City, if they wander out back to the Memorial Gardens, are introduced to the talented Oklahoma roping horse. A monument honors him with his name. And it also reads, Great Cowpony, era 1940s. In 1979, the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame in Colorado Springs inducted Ike Rood, Clyde Burke, and their Scarface for Life roping horse. He was nicknamed the scar-legged sorrel, the best there is, and a horse with a heart. To the cowboys who feared him and respected him, and wished they'd own him, his name was Baldy. And now you know the rest of the scoop. The Ph.D. equine nutritionists at Purina Animal Nutrition tackle problems using science. And their love of the horse keeps them at it until they get it right. Even with the most established feeds, they keep innovating. Even when it takes years of research, they don't stop until it's right. They are dedicated to the scientific method, but it can't capture the feeling of seeing a horse reach their full potential. It takes science and love to help your horses live their best life. Put their research to the test at horseinnovation.com. And finally we end with a look back at one of the horse husband roundtables that we did many years ago. And we were answering questions from horse girls. I think you'll I picked a couple of them out that I thought were fun, and I think you'll like this. The uh, my co-host here was Joseph uh, from Shake and Fork, and also we had guest horse husbands, Zeb and Eric. All right, guys, are you ready to handle some questions sent in by the listeners? Sure. And these are interesting too. There's there's some good ones in this batch. Denise asks, ask them what the dumbest horse mistake they ever made was. And I, I think I can probably I'll get started here so you have to, guys have time to think. That you know, I think with me, I couldn't list them all. I've made so many stupid mistakes with horses and and but I think if I was gonna categorize it, I would say I had a period, and every horse husband I think goes through this at some point, where you think you know more than your horsey wife— especially if you're getting involved a little bit and I owned a horse and I thought I knew more about running the barn and feeding hay and all that stuff at some point when you're young and stupid. Now I don't, I just defer to everything. Uh, but I had that period of a couple of years in there and that was probably the most trying time we ever had as a married couple. Uh, and that was, so it wasn't one dumb thing. It was a couple, of th- three years of dumb. <laughs> so, uh, I think that was my dumbest mistake.
2: I think it's an ongoing problem Glenn because I'm I'm 20 years into it and we have a new <laughs> colt here and yesterday it was my job to put on the fly mask Well, I didn't notice, but my wife did at the end of the day that I would put the fly mask on upside down, and the ears were going through the mouth hole, and the muzzle was squeezed (laughs) into the ear hole. So (laughs) she waited until dinner to tell me that, and it didn't look funny to me, but she noticed it right away. So, yep, even as little as yesterday, I was doing dumb things.
0: Yeah, the foal saw him coming and said, oh, here comes dumbass again.
2: Oh, (laughs) it, it was pretty funny, but the dumbest mistake was trying to ride two days after a hernia operation.
0: That oh that was pretty dumb mistake yeah, that was, that, yeah. that'd have been dumb I get it Zep, what about you and you've been around horses so I don't even know if you have more than one
3: yeah I uh, it would t- honestly we take all night to uh, <laughs> to do all of them as I'm sure you guys know being with uh, you know in the industry for so long but I would have to say the the first one that popped into my head was trying to stand up to a red-headed mare uh ah,
0: mm. there you go yeah was that two-legged or four-legged broken
3: bones <laughs> two-legged uh, or four-legged <laughs> yes you do
0: was that was that uh ashley's mare
3: uh no but it oh. actually was one of her clients oh. um and uh you know it was one of those things that uh you know you're not uh not thinking in the time you're kind of at the middle of it and uh you just kind of tell them to to stand up and behave themselves, and they remind you that they outweigh you by about six times as much as you do, and uh, they win always.
0: Yeah, yeah. was there broken <laughs> bones involved? I'm assuming.
3: Uh she separated my radius and my ulna. She cow kicked.
0: Me. Oof! Wow,
3: that hurts. Um, so technically, they didn't break, but uh, yeah, it hurt.
0: I bet. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Have you ever done anything dumb with Abby's horses that she's called John?
3: Um I once gave her a riding lesson. That was a lapse in judgment. Yeah,
0: you never do <laughs> You never do that with your spouse.
3: <laughs> I took a couple from
0: mine and that didn't uh, go well.
3: Uh, you know. uh no i i would have to say the uh the dumbest thing i would have to say with uh horse girls and horses combined was uh one time this gal was really upset about how uh uh you know a show had turned out and just the general and my uh first response was to tell her to to just take it easy
0: oh uh,
3: you'd never oh, do that never. <laughs> <laughs> no no the big mistake though. yeah <laughs>
0: Jeez. You're lucky. You're, you're, you're lucky. You didn't get cow kicked by her. <laughs>
3: yeah, I, I'm pretty quick when I want to be. I'm not fast, but I'm quick. I ran. <laughs> not gonna
0: lie. <laughs> Eric, now you don't have much involvement. Can you answer this question?
4: Uh, I sort of can. Yeah. um I would say probably the only thing that I I thought I was stupid that I did was I I put the halter on wrong. I just couldn't figure out. Save my life. Um, You know, Ashley asked me one time to take one of the horses out to the paddock and I, for the life of me, just couldn't get the damn thing on it. And I said, (laughs) I I can't do this. And then uh, another time was trying to put a blanket on. And uh, that was frustrating as well because it kept walking away and, you know, and then she comes over here and two seconds later, it's on. I'm like, "I I, I just need to stay away.
2: I love the way your ignorance is on really small levels and it keeps you insulated from getting more involved. You've got it really well planned out. Yeah, he plays dumb really well.
4: It's called a mastery of years and years of just, you know, getting used to the fact like this is going to be the rest of my life. So I better quickly figure out a plan to kind of get out of things a lot quicker.
0: There you go. Perfect. Playing dumb always works. So <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> you know what I find frustrating with the blankets and it drives me insane is those
4: little hook hook closures where you have to stick a little Oh, thing. I can't I can't stand it. Yeah. You gotta get it underneath the belly and you gotta snap it's just it's so irritating. I cannot uh, get like, how those how to go it? in.
0: I finally get so frustrated. Yeah. I say, Jennifer, you do it. She laughs because you know she doesn't like that. But <laughs> yeah. I cannot get those yep. things to work. And then the horse
2: rolls on it and closes it up just a little tiny bit, <laughs> right. and they just oh, won't yeah. open or go in. Yep, that's, I agree with you.
0: <laughs> that's so Tame.
2: true.
4: Tame. Then you got a piece of manure that's on there, and you got to use your hands. You know what I mean? I'm like, no, i uh, got to do
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> Eric,
0: have you ever cleaned a stall?
4: I have, yes. I have cleaned a stall, yes. okay. all right, Just checking.
0: How about this? This was a good one for Avery. We've never had it in all the years. We've been doing the Horse Husband episodes for nine years now. We've never had this. Uh, Avery wants to know, what's our favorite barn tool or implement? If we had a favorite, uh, what would it be? And Zeb, I'd be interested to know yours. You're a farrier. Do you have a favorite tool?
3: A broom. Oh, really? Very underused <laughs> implement. <laughs> At most of the barns you visit? <laughs> Especially by working students. It's almost like they can't comprehend how it works. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Zev, I'm going to have to have you back to give everybody. You're going to give uh, the top ten lessons that the farrier wants everybody to know, their clients yes. to know. Yeah, we're going to have to have you back for that. Eric, do you, do you play around at the farm? Do you have a tool you like? A toy?
4: anything? I do. Yeah? My, fa- my favorite favorite's the uh, hammer drill. Oh, those are that's fun. pretty useful. Yeah, those I are I love fun hammer too. drills. Just right in and right out. Yep. yep. And a lot yeah. And this is useful in a barn because Yeah. A lot of a lot you, of I'm, fence boards come down and being able to use that is pretty helpful and pretty quick. I got it.
0: Yeah. And then, plus there's a thousand holes in the wall right now just because.
4: Uh, <laughs> uh, absolutely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Joseph, do you you have a lot of toys at your place. What do you what do you like the best?
2: Yeah, and you're you're gonna know what I'm gonna tell you, but, but the the shake and fork I invented ten years ago, the carbon fiber version of it, it it's a little bit like a, a movie a movie star watching a movie ten years later and you kinda of forget all of the lines you had to learn. You just you just use the product and that particular product and how it works and how it feels and its balance and function, it's it's so much more than the sum of its parts that I'm just amazed that anybody invented that, regardless of whether I did. It just works so well. But I wanted to, I wanted to go into your thing about a broom. You know what the answer to that is? A leaf blower.
0: Yeah, because but a lot of, the horses. Yeah, a lot of barns oh. won't, won't allow it. They, they, oh,
2: that so yeah, little electric leaf blower, boy, I just love it.
3: They're great if you uh, turn the horses out before you clean, but you can't use them in the mornings or a lot of the barns, especially these thoroughbreds, they just go nuts.
1: No
4: kidding. I guess you can mark that as a a stupid mistake I've done. I've done the leaf blower in the barn with horses in there.
0: And and it didn't go well?
4: (laughs) Uh, I didn't go bad necessarily, but it was, I was told to never do it again. Yeah. <laughs> we all know well, how I we're told. Get away with it here. Yeah. We all know how we're
3: told. Well, yeah. Eric, we've all been told that before. Uh, absolutely.
4: This is just part of my master plan to just, you know, I'm sorry. I play dumb. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, and she's not listening to this, so you're safe. Uh, right. You know, I think mine, you know, Joseph, of course, I have to agree with you. I love my shake and fork and and use it. But uh, the other one I had was when we had our big farm, sort of that one like you're in, Eric, we had a big yep. Oliver 770 tractor. And I gotta tell Ooh. you, it was a big tractor. And I gotta tell you, yeah. we had so much fun playing with that tractor. <laughs> I didn't have fun with sure. that tractor. That just made me feel like a man being on that tractor. <laughs> yeah. It's a guy thing, I guess. You could pull anything. You could get anything out of the mud. You could do anything you wanted with that tractor.
2: And that Oliver has a really nice exhaust note too. Yes, it does. It sounds it, like it a tractor. It is a very manly. That's it's right.
0: yeah. <laughs> a right. <Very> manly tractor. <laughs> it did. My, I got a funny story. Uh, my brothers or my brother-in-laws, Jennifer's brothers, were are kind of on the wild side, and they actually got the thing stuck between two trees one day. They were out trying to pull. I don't know what they were doing in the woods, but they actually got it stuck where it wouldn't move between two trees. We had to cut one of the trees down to get the tractor out. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, Allison wants to know the top things you'd warn a new horse boyfriend about. So, your friend, yeah, you know your, let's say Ashley's friend has a new boyfriend. What's your first warning that you're going to give that new boyfriend, Eric?
4: Uh, be ready to get up extremely early to go to a horse show to stand there for eight hours in the hot sun, carrying water buckets doing anything that they tell you to do, welcome to hell.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wait to sell it, Eric. <laughs> That's the second date, Eric. Come on. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Zeb.
3: All right, so just to clarify, is he a friend that I like or one of those friends?
0: Uh, he's a friend you like and you really don't want to make a mistake.
3: Run. yeah but he likes
0: her he thinks she's hot you know she looks really good in those breeches
3: Uh, honestly I would uh, I'd reiterate part of Eric's is be ready to work yeah because it's not so much even the physical stuff but honestly one of the biggest things that your job is going to be is when it doesn't go right and it doesn't matter what happened in your day or how bad your week was if they don't do well at that show you better be ready to pour it on. All and right. if you're not willing to do that, you just might as well hang up your spurs. Yeah. yeah.
0: Joseph?
2: Oh, easy for me. I'd make sure to tell them that dating and marriage to a horse girl are completely different. In that what way? What you're getting is, well, it's what you're getting is just a, a, a small little part of, of the depth of a horsewoman. And when they're dating with you, they're making the time for you, and they're smelling nice for you, and they're they're and so on and so on. But once you're married to them, and they're back to to the to their first passion, then oh, bingo! You're gonna see what yeah you're going to see what the real horse girl is is all about.
0: Totally. You, you know what? I'd warn them. I would warn them that you can never, ever, ever plan on being on time for anything ever again because feeding. oh yeah <laughs> that's not gonna happen <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> goodbye weekend barbecues right <laughs> forget it yeah. And, yeah i i agree you want to go to the beach for the weekend don't think so no nope.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, horses are first. Horses are yeah, first. That's right. All right. You guys have both been to the show, so this is a perfect one. Uh, uh, Alicia asks, uh, your pet peeves encountered at horse shows? And I'll start this while you think about it. Pet peeves encountered at horse shows. You already said one of them, getting up at a godly hour at 3 in the morning to drive there. And then when you get there, your your girlfriend or your wife's test isn't till four in the afternoon, but you're still there at nine o'clock in the morning. Or they have a student set at nine o'clock in the morning, and the other test is at four. So you're there the whole freaking day because one start one is nine and one is four, and you have to sit through all of them. Just that's mine, Joseph. Any.
2: Oh, I mine are, are much more to do with, with how horses treated at horse shows, where, where a horse is being ridden hollow with the reins held high in the air, and it'll be walking in the front or trotting in the hind, or a horse getting disciplined for doing exactly what the rider is unintentionally asking it to do. Or My big peeve is when a condition is yelling at a young rider, making him cry in public, out of frustration because they don't understand the inscrutable commands they're being asked to perform. And I just, it just bothers me so much that, that people will stand up, won't stand up to being treated badly at horse shows or horses that are being treated badly and nobody says anything. And it's almost the reason I don't do shows anymore because I have such a hard time with, with, with that.
0: Have you been escorted out of a few of them just (laughs)
2: yeah I'm kind kind of sorta of. yeah yeah i'm not the person to go to, to horse shows with i mean i love absolutely love a beautifully ridden horse and a and a beautiful performance, whether it 's dressage or three day or anything it's it's absolutely breathtaking when and everything is is done in harmony but when when people are going after the the prize rather than the well-being of the horse it's it's very frustrating and at high level it's one thing but when you go to these low level shows especially with young riders boy it's it's pretty um it's tough to to stand by that's my pet peeve
0: Zeb
3: So I have to say my pet peeve is horse show mothers <laughs> hmm? Um, and Mm. not so much the mothers themselves, but how they're treated. Um, everybody knows the exact, you know, the, the, that annoying horse show mother that is pushing their kids for, that's not the one I'm talking about. I'm talking about that entitled little brat that is running around giving her mother's orders for, get me this, get me that, get me this other thing. And you're just sitting Mm -hmm. there and you're watching it and you're going, you know what? She's putting the bill for this. She's putting up with you, and damn, I wish she would just. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but yeah, that that's gotta be gotta be my biggest pet peeve is just seeing these entitled kids run around and treat their, especially the mothers, because let's face it, the fathers are usually off playing golf.
2: Uh, I'm just dying to and, know do you have uh, kids yet.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and you know it. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that would have to be mine.
0: So, uh, uh, Eric, I'm interested to hear yours.
4: All right. Mine is, my my pet peeve is um, watching dressage. And only because I just don't know what the hell is going on in that <laughs> room. And or do they. they. Or do they.
1: <laughs> yeah. And the worst
4: thing is when I'm, the biggest pet peeve of mine is when I'm standing next to someone. And they go, after the test is gone, they go, man, what a great test. That was that was so good. And did you see that? I'm like, how the hell do you know? Like,
3: <laughs> how do you figure this
4: out? I just look at them and I'm like, what are you talking about? Do you really honestly know? And it just drives me nuts because they're like, how do they know this stuff so well? Or think they know. And I'm sitting there, just trying to figure out why they keep going from a trot to a walk to whatever going in circles. Is what I think it is.
2: I, I have the and, exact same experience. I asked my yeah. wife, why is it that they just ride around in circles?
4: Right. <laughs> Eric, do you get no, nervous my, when she's on Cross country? country? You know, I did. When we first started dating, I did get nervous uh when she wrote uh Cross Country and I um I had sometimes a tough time watching. Um but as it went on and seeing how much, you know, passion she had writing and how good she was, it, you know, just became second nature. I was like, I know I'm not I just don't have to worry. That are just completely blocking my memory and just don't even think about it. <laughs> um, but mainly, I, I used to, but I, I don't as much anymore. Now, when she gets in the higher levels, like when she does the two star or even the three star, then it's kind of like, all right, uh, that jump is almost as tall as me, and you're riding it on an animal that is just riding for its life <laughs> mm. that gets a little nervous so uh so i do i i guess i could say i get nervous at the, the bigger shows that she does uh the smaller shows you know not so much but the bigger shows yeah it, it'll keep you up at night
0: what level is ashley riding to at this point uh two star two star well that's a big show Yeah, two-star. Yeah, those those jumps are getting up there. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they are. That's scary territory. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for the side saddle episode. Jamie and I will be back on Wednesday and Friday. And Thursday, we have a brand new Sidelines magazine episode for you. So a full week of programming. We hope you enjoy. Have a terrific week, everybody, and we'll see you tomorrow.